don't know, the whole narrative thing just seems to me like a... Narrative? The narrative. The narrative. The narrative is one big circle, I guess. Welcome. This is our second take to the fourth episode of Narrowing the Narrative. I am Henry McCain, and I am joined by... Cameron Fulton. It's always great to be here. Always great to be here. Um, and we are doing a kind of different episode. We're trying something else out. We're doing kind of a book report, quote-unquote, episode where my good friend Cam is going to present to me um, kind of a, his thoughts, kind of a report, a show-and-tell moment of a story that he thinks is uh, interesting to talk about. And I'm sorry to say, but I've already been spoiled as to what the story is. But what is it, Cam? It's um, probably my favorite narrative and his favorite, I would say it's one of my favorite movies, animated movies of all time. It's the Iron Giant. It's yep. great. It's just, it executes so many different aspects of character growth and of relatable, not situations, but just dialogue and writing that. You're saying that that hasn't happened to you? <laughs> no, I've been only, uh, I've only met a 45 foot giant, not a 50 foot iron giant. Oh, yeah. Okay. He's actually made of bronze. So it was, <laughs> I, I didn't even, I didn't give him time of day. I met the platinum giant and he was made up of <laughs> melted chains from like Y2K rap videos. <laughs> no, it's the giant from the queen. <laughs> from the queen. Oh album. yeah. <laughs> yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's a deep pull. But, uh, but no, the iron giant, it holds a truly special place in, in my heart. Cause it's, yeah. it's one of the earliest animated movies that I can remember watching. And just the the way they depict the characters are drawn beautifully. The scenery is great. Yeah, I don't really care about Maine. No, no shade to Maine, but the Iron Giant made it somewhat of a more a, attractive spot in my mind. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, isn't it Rockwell, Maine? Isn't that it is what Rockwell, the, Maine? Yeah, I only I see. I only know that because we were talking. Uh, about it. I did not realize this was going to be the pick, but we were talking about it last night and I watched a clip and I was reminded, you are right. It is a beautiful, beautiful looking movie in addition to being such a good story. Yeah, it's it's wild how it's it's a really simple plot when you think about it because it's really just a kid with no friends basically has an imaginary friend that becomes tangible yeah. Because everyone, no one believes him at first. They're like, oh yeah, you saw a 50-foot metal robot that ate the power station. And yeah. it's like, and when you think about it, it's a lot less of uh, kind of like an invader movie and more of a somewhat like a find yourself movie. Yeah. Because it's the story of the Iron Giant trying to find out who he wants to be versus who he is. Yeah. And it's it's really... It's really a sweet movie <clears throat> that even even my girlfriend, who's not a particular fan of animation, she thoroughly enjoyed because the story is just it's very heartfelt. Oh yeah. No, it's um I'm I'm glad that you that you picked this one. Um, because this we are in the same boat where this is a very deep place in my kind of mind and my heart too, because it was a very early movie that I watched as a kid. And it's really um, 
people always say this, you know, how all the Pixar movies are so like adults can enjoy and enjoy them too, or they can deal with mature themes. And Brad Bird went on to make a couple Pixar movies. Um, but it's just so true with the Iron Giant, where it's like such a classic, almost like elemental kind of story that they just make like anybody I feel like would love that movie. And it, it's kind of wild because you think about it <clears throat> and like looking back, there's a lot of things that like I understood as a kid, but never really had any context for. Like the idea of the Red Scare in the 1950s. Yeah. Like you're watching a, a child being taught the idea that a nuclear bomb could be dropped on them by at any moment. <laughs> yeah. No, for and sure. Terrible. <laughs> it is. And that's what's weird too is it's a kid's <clears throat> movie that came out. I'm actually just looking it up. Right now, what the exact year? Do you know what year it was when it I'm came say out? Ninety eight or ninety nine. Yeah, very late nineties. So it's you know marketed to young people um, around the turn of the century, but for the people taking their kids to see it, like for my parents and for your parents, that was their reality: was um, living thinking that yeah, a nuclear bomb could be dropped on us at all times. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's, yeah. it's wild. <laughs> it's it's incredible. But then to be fair, we also, you know, that technically still could happen. We're just not reminded of it all the time. Well, thank you for putting that in my head. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> but it's it's also interesting because it's like the, the idea of animation is like you can truly get a star-studded cast and never figure that out <laughs> until... Oh, yeah. You like you like watching the credits and you're like, what what do you mean Ben Diesel was in this movie? <laughs> yes, he is the titular Iron Giant. <clears throat> yeah, and then Jennifer Aniston is the hot mom. <laughs> she is the Ho- Hogarth's mom. Annie. Right. Very normal Annie. name for naming your child Hogarth. Yeah, it must have been like a great, great grandfather wrote in his will in like six generations, you must name the first child the name of an ancient eldritch abomination. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, I'm actually looking it up. Apparently, he's named after uh, author Ted Hughes, who wrote the book that inspired the film. And for a second, I thought that's all they said. And I was like, well, where did Hogarth come from? But apparently also artist Burn Hogarth, he's named after. What's the last name? <laughs> yeah, exactly, true. So Hogarth Hughes. Wow. I guess maybe did he do let me type in burn Hogarth art. But yes, keep talking. But um it's just thinking about the plot of the movie also, it's it's really sad. Like even before like the the like the start of a lot of the tension, it's like Hogarth lives in this town where he's a he's supposed to be an average kid. He's like the average nobody really likes me kid. Uh-huh. But at the same time, Hogarth doesn't really have like anyone other than his mom. He's a complete social outcast for, for what I can see, no real reason. He seems yeah. like a pretty normal kid. Big time. But, like he gets bullied in school. They never show any depiction of him having any friends. And at the same, but at the same time, it's like he plays it off of being like such a charming young dude. That it makes you feel truly bad that no one gives him a chance. And I feel yeah. like that's like an interesting plot point that could have been explained. But I kind of like that it's not. 
because it yeah. makes me kind of relate to him better. Yeah, there's a that's such a relatable kind of. You don't need to know the, like the specific reasons. There are a lot of people who have friends or don't whatever, mm -hmm. but who feel kind of like outcasts or lonely, and especially when you're a kid, that's not an un an uncommon state of of being. So I, I feel like it's just adds to the kind of universal appeal of the movie. Yeah. Also, Holgarth's drip throughout the movie is immaculate. <laughs> Let me take a look at this guy. This well, so in the, in the red and black windbreaker with the yellow Ooh. polo underneath, he cold as shit. <laughs> and he's and he's got the the pants rolled up with like the the Chuck Taylors, mm -hmm. the and red the, Converses. Oh, he got the straight, basically Kooji sweater. Now, my man. Tell, tell Dean start getting some lessons in fashion from my man Hogarth Hughes. Yo, he's way drippier than the, those Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reboot guys who were looking at. <laughs> and my man's wavy, Will Smith's reboot, not even close. <laughs> oh my God. You know what I forgot? A thing that I loved as a kid is when you're a kid, um, you, you attach yourself so much to like the little material moments in a movie. So we were talking about there's a part where Hogarth early on in the movie is watching some old like science fiction movie and he squirts um, a bunch <laughs> of like whipped cream into uh, like a Twinkie and it just the way it looks is incredible. And then it's he kind of is um, searching for something and he takes a little like BB gun that kind of looks like a shotgun and he attaches a light to it Um. And it just looks so. I was. I loved like all the little like material notes of the movie. Yeah, the the animation working in tandem with like the the small minute moments make him come to life. And it's it's wild to me how like um like the scene when he's with uh, the Mansley in the in the diner and oh. just like watching him crumble the laxative chocolate over top of the milkshake it's like it it looks mm. so wild to me when i watch it back because it's it's beautifully done but it also gives him such character like i'm looking at him it's like the shit-eating grin and he's yeah he's just he's, he's just great there's no other way to put it yes yes it's but, it's it's loaded with character the whole thing and i say before we go any further if you want to, for people who haven't seen it in a bit, or for people who've never seen it, give mm. a brief synopsis. And you can include the end if you want, um, if what you're going to talk about or what we talk about. I feel like it's definitely okay um, to talk about spoilers. But if you want to just give the, the basic premise, what is The Iron Giant actually about? So The Iron Giant is about 1950s Maine. Yep. Young kid, Hogarth Hughes lives at home with his mom. He's a little bit of an outcast, a little bit of a dork, but he's cool in his own weird way. One day, Hogarth is just chilling at home, watching a monster movie, and he hears an explosion and a power bump. So he lives kind of out in the woods, so he goes to check on it, because he's a pretty curious kid. And what he finds is a 50-foot metal robot just chowing down on the <laughs> power station. And he yep. flips shit. <laughs> he runs away. The Iron Giant follows him. And so for like the next couple of days, he goes out looking for him. And they kind of start to develop a relationship of like Hogarth teaching the Iron Giant who he is because he has memory loss. 
And so he's yeah. teaching what he can't do, what he can do to like be part of civilization. And eventually he starts to teach him that because you have all these crazy su superior things, you can be like a superhero to people. And the Iron Giant starts to like develop, I would say borderline emotion yeah. for people. And like for Hogarth, who's like his best friend. Yeah. But then the government comes through and starts to ask questions, thinking about the Red Scare era. Who was he made by? Where is he from? He obviously destroyed the power station. He derailed a train. So this guy could be a menace at some point. And then this movie progresses. Kent Mansley, who is played by someone famous who I cannot remember, um, he starts to investigate. He pushes Hogarth to like try and get information out of him. And the movie coalesces and at the very end, <clears throat> the Iron Giant gets revealed to the town because of some kid is like falling off of a cliff or like a building and the Iron Giant comes in and saves him. And so the, the government and army then sees him and yeah. they, they're like, holy shit, he's a giant, a real metal robot. But in that moment, they also realize that he saved two children. And they're like, well, maybe he's not an actual like giant weapon. Uh -huh. And so the government's kind of like talking it over because like the admiral general is like, well, tell me about him to, to Hogarth. And he's like, well, he's actually a really good guy. And then Kent Mansley, the dumbass that he is, <laughs> is like flipping out because he's like super high strong and he's like sleep deprived and he's like basically living off coffee, piss, and adrenaline. Yeah. And he tells like the the naval um the submarine off of like off of the coast to launch nukes towards the towards the city because there's a giant, like a giant robot. And so the army starts firing on him. He turns into like a giant weapon. And then Hogarth has to like talk him down from it. And at the very end, he does it, and Hogarth is like, "We have it's like everyone's gonna die. the The nuke is it's it. It's the it's the worst thing out there." Yeah. And so the Iron Giant, in a moment of cinematic heroism that I personally haven't seen paralleled, tells yeah. Hogarth that you have to stay here, and I have to go, because that's the only way you can be safe. And he flies into space and he blows himself up against the nuke to save everyone. Yep. So that's that's the overall story of the Iron Giant. Yeah. And so it's I mean, you you hear that plot and it's pretty it's pretty classic, right? Like, I mean, it's like you you hear that and it's it's hitting so many of the notes that you would expect from lovable giant type characters like i remember there's a movie i saw uh, as a kid that came out a little bit later that i don't think a lot of people saw called the water horse um and it was a very similar thing there's that's about a hippocampus kid... isn't it <laughs> let me water horse movie it's about a big i don't know what you'd call this thing but it is uh it's pretty cute Oh, um, no, it's about the Loch Ness Monster. Okay. I'm, this is a different movie about a hippocampus. 
What's it? I thought the hippocampus was in your brain. Is in the what? I thought the hippocampus was something in your brain. Am I tripping? Um, that is the might be the hippocampus. I have. Oh, but there's a mythical creature called the hippocampus. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, yeah, basically the water horse and kind of in the different versions like King Kong. Um, I haven't seen it, but I, people kind of said maybe that new Bumblebee Transformers movie. It's kind of a, a trope that goes back, which is like the lovable, sweet, kind of misunderstood giant who is clearly should be a threat, but mm-hmm. the the love of a child, the kind of childlike wonder is the, the only thing that can recognize that no, this is actually a sweet misunderstood thing. Um, yeah, but it's funny because I think about like that and I remember thinking of um, the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, the first one, when I think of the kind of lovable giant with like superpowers. And it's like, I think of the, the sacrifice scenes there's always a sacrifice scene, whether yeah. it's Kong, whether it's Godzilla, whether it's whatever, where yep. the monster looks, has like the moment of connection with the with the kid. And it's like, you taught me how to love. And then they either get captured or they die. But it's usually because that happens because of some flaw of the character. But I think in the Iron Giant, Hogarth has no flaw other than the fact that he's lying. But he's doing that to protect somebody. Yeah, so that's like, true. I can't think of a moment where Hogarth has a like a negative, like self-centered emotion around the giant. Yeah, and so is does he have a journey at all? Because um, again, I have not seen the movie in its entirety in, in, in a very long time. Does he like become? Because isn't there a scene at the end where he's like playing football with kids? Like he's he's kind of found maybe. Well, he becomes popular because he was friends with the giant. But like Hogarth is always going to be Hogarth. <laughs> okay. Where it's like he's like playing football by the statue of the giant while Dean and his mom are frenching. And it's like uh, Dean also being like the cool artsy, uh, I would say, um, kind of Matthew McConaughey-esque character in this movie. Well, he's voiced by Harry Connick Jr., the kind of more New Orleans, like, jazz beatnik kind of guy. Um, yeah, I would definitely call Dean a beatnik. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For the 50s, he is about as cool as you could get as a 30-year-old white guy living in Maine in 1950. It is a little weird, though, how there's some there's some very weird moments in the Iron Giant related to Dean and Hogarth, because they, they form a very quick bond, which I guess is different in the 1950s, but at the same time, it's like, would you trust a stranger to take you your your son out to a lake? Uh, probably about twenty minutes outside of town. <laughs> yeah, well, especially yeah, it's such a well. That's what's funny. You say yeah? <laughs> no, 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 I, for me, I don't. I don't let my children see anything. I keep them in a basement, and the, <laughs> the windows are boarded up. But um, that's what's interesting about that period is that there was so much paranoia on the international like national front where it's your neighbor could be a communist like the the bomb's gonna drop any moment but on the same at the same time there it was kind of almost like naive period in terms of thinking like yeah leave the door open um 
you know, let your kids just run around type thing, you know? And so I think that's, a, that's always a lot of 1950s set stories, at least kind of play with that dichotomy. Yeah. The idea of that your children, it's like the, the, I think of the, um, the ad that used to come on, it doesn't come on in my lifetime, but like for our parents' lifetimes, where it was like in the 1980s and 70s, it's like, it's nine o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Yeah, it's yeah. Like 1950s, they just didn't give a shit. <laughs> Big time. They're like, are and you what's... home by sunrise the next morning? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Doing <laughs> Do you know where your kids are? Yeah, I've seen that. Um, okay, so what, the, what do you think made you pick the Iron Giant? Like, what about the Iron Giant to you takes it above and beyond just the your average kind of like kid sci-fi movie your average befriending a sweet creature movie it's a couple things so first off it's the idea that that like the child maturity is done so different in the iron giant than a lot of movies so like hogarth he's i think he's 12 and he he doesn't have a father so you you would assume that in the in the movie that his father is either absent or he's gone or at war or something like that. Yeah. Well, it's 1950, so I guess not at war. Yeah, Korea. <clears throat> Maybe, but then Dean will probably be there too. So it's it's. He well, draft. He's a draft dodger. He pioneered <laughs> that. Dean is 100 a draft dodger. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and it's Hogarth comes up in his head with like his own like weird protective bubble of his own maturity where he's able to like talk to his mom about him being like he's like mom i'm 12 come on i drink coffee i'm cool and it's like he's just (laughs) so interesting to watch and like his small mannerisms and the quick wit that he has that makes him so lovable just as a main character yeah and you have like the rapport with his mom his rapport with dean Dean's rapport with his mom, him talking to the giant and like trying to like find understanding. And then it's also like his like, like when the giant, who's like a basically mentally a child, yeah, sees the dead deer because they go off and they're like playing in the woods and they hear a gunshot and they find two hunters just killed a deer and they go down and the, and the giant's about to poke it. And Hogan's like, what are you doing? And he's like, it's dead. He's like, and Giant kind of looks at him like, what do you mean dead? He's like, it's not here anymore. There's no, he, he delivers it in such a mature way that makes it so sad to see like a 12 year old have to be able to tell that to a 50 foot robot. Yeah. But he's like, there's, it's like, it's, it's sad, but that's how it is. Yeah. And the way he's able to do the way they made they wrote him to do these like lines is just so it's amazing to me. It's it's incredible. Yeah. yeah so like do you I would imagine that do you kind of get annoyed when there'll be kid characters written into big stories and they're kind of um the writers kind of talk down to the kids, I feel like, in a lot of things where there's kind of a patronizing kind of, they're a little underdeveloped, like they're especially immature. Um, they, yeah, for sure. Because yeah. I was just playing a, 
Paper Mario and the Origami King. Uh, yeah. And there's the 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 main, I guess, buddy character. She's like a child in my mind. The the way they kind of like she has like the way she like dances around all the time, like they sing songs and shit. It's 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 kind of like weird to see because I don't know if like many kids who are like on like either some kind of like adventure or stuff like that, unless it's like a Disney movie where that happens. But like Hogarth, he's realistic. He's like a realistic twelve year old kid. He's super inquisitive. He's super kind of he's borderline annoying to most people, but like in a very like. He's annoying, but I like him kind of way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's 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 something that's that's like a touch of childhood that's lost, where it's like they 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 shrub that a lot for growth narrative of a of a kid, where it's like he goes from being this annoying, immature kid to being this realist kind of like, well, this is how the world is, but I'm happy because I have my family. It's a, a very common character arc for children. Yeah, for sure. And it's I've seen it so much, not to say it's a bad thing. But seeing it like this is refreshing, to say the least. Big time. And I feel like, um, based on my recollections of the movie, I feel like that does kind of reflect um, the fact that the movie really respects and finds great value in innocence in childhood in a way that is a little more genuine than maybe sometimes that theme comes across. Like there's sometimes, um, and I, I'm not, not to name names and the truth is I almost can't even think of specific, but you know, there are certain kind of, let's say more Tim Burton-esque stories where childhood gets equated to a certain kind of like whimsy, um, mm-hmm. strangeness, um, simple, kind of like a simple mindedness almost. And I know in the Iron Giant, the Iron Giant himself is kind of very naive, very sweet, very simple. Um, but they really like the movie. Really respects Hogarth, and it and it respects the bond that he has with the robot in a way that feels like it's it's really genuine. And to me, the movie feels like a real labor of love. Um, I was going to ask you about how you feel like it kind of incorporates like these kind of retro aesthetics. Cause I've, I feel like looking at it now and looking at some of this art, the way that it brings in that 1950 sci-fi movie kind of aesthetic is I think almost like it really essential to this kind of like protecting innocence or the continuation of childhood strength. Yeah, I think the the aesthetic of it being like it had like this movie had to be in the 1950s. If it were anywhere else, it just wouldn't make sense. But in the 1950s, it's that turn of technology where it's like it's the nuclear bomb was just dropped and is being innovated into a, a bunch of different nuclear technology. And then out of nowhere, this robot who is essentially ran ran on nuclear, even quantum level technology that nobody understands. Yeah. And it it fits into it so well because it's almost like in the 50s, people equated the like the science that they couldn't understand with like magic almost and like magic to be feared. Yeah. It's like I feel like Hogarth being the younger generation, he doesn't see it as something to be feared. He sees it as something that's like really like new and interesting because he's a kid. He doesn't have all these uh 
these um, predetermined notions of what's bad about nuclear energy and he, he knows that it's dangerous but like he's like still watching like monster movies where like yeah a nuclear ooze was spilled into the into the water well and a giant monster came up but the monster also fights other monsters and so it's like he he's seeing all these things and he's and he's contextualizing it and when he sees the robot he sees it like it's one of his movies where it's like it could be either way he he's a he's hesitant to him at first but he's so interested because it's it's the turn of the it's the turn of the technological century yeah and hogarth has no idea what he is yeah that's um that is really interesting to talk about technology in terms of magic um because I feel like that is something that maybe characterizes some of the things it's pulling from aesthetically those older, like, I guess, 1950s sci-fi, like B movies and comic books and things like that, where it's, and it's kind of, that's all people obviously know that that's where George Lucas kind of, that's what he cribbed for Star Wars. And as you can tell from something like Star Wars, it is very much, it's not getting into the nitty gritty of like, ooh, like speculative. How would a creature like this be created? How would you make the Iron Giant? How do these things work? What are the implications? And stories like that can be amazing. It really just presents that kind of technological advancement as being wondrous. And what's interesting about the Iron Giant um, and movies like that is all the adults are cynical and the adults have reason to be afraid. And it, at first it might seem like Hogarth is naive for thinking it's like this kind of magical thing, naive for thinking that, Oh, the iron giant has emotions or feelings, but it kind of the movie sides with him and sides with this notion of like, like take a step back and like look at the wonder of this, like look at what we've been able to create. Um, which is a very hopeful and I feel like very genuinely earnestly hopeful message that it sends it, it really is because it's it's funny we were talking about like the um the fact that the Iron Giant kind of shows out of nowhere and he's like alien and in in the movie what Hogarth drops down is the first issue of Superman which yeah issue. worth a lot <laughs> uh, extremely <laughs> and, which came out i'm trying to figure out when the when the, the 30s probably was. yeah it's probably the 30s like so the early 30s like the 38 oh, okay. so it was the revolution of the idea of superman because kids were probably like just starting to like pick up the like the the comic book superhero thing and it's it's cool because Hogarth is learning, probably learning slash just learned about superheroes. And so he's like, literally, this is the story of Superman. An yeah. alien fell from space with incredible powers. And people, if they, it's like if people found out about Superman before you had a chance to like be good. Yeah. And it's now, what if people found out about Superman when he was like a fully grown adult? And he crash landed in like the middle of the street. They would fear yeah. him. 
Oh, this yeah. is like a literal man fell out of the sky in uh, like a space pod. This guy yeah. is definitely not like no good. He is alien. So it's that's kind of how I feel like how Hogarth rationalizes it. Yeah, because it's like he is out of a comic book. In comic books, the the cool alien guy is always the hero. Yeah. Well, yeah. sometimes there are cool aliens that do, do turn out to be evil. Um, yeah, but they come in flying saucers, so he probably if you saw exactly, saucer, exactly. <laughs> and what is to me, and this is the power I think of Brad Bird. Um, and for people who don't know, Brad Bird later went on to do The Incredibles, which also has a kind of retro. 1950s aesthetic even though it, it takes place uh, presumably in like the modern day or some version of that it has that going on and then he did Ratatouille which also kind of throws back to um, kind of maybe older notions of Paris and he also made uh, Mission Impossible 4 and I can't really wrap that into the retro aesthetic <laughs> I haven't seen it in a long time well, but he also, also made like a 1960s feel right <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, hey, it is like spy, uh, a fun spy movie, and there were certainly those in the 60s. And then he also made um, a movie that I have not seen called Tomorrowland, um, which That's is... With, um, uh, what's his name? George Clooney? Yeah, so it's George Clooney and a young woman, and I think Hugh Laurie is maybe the, the villain. And it was like an original idea, from my understanding, and it looked actually really cool. I have not seen it. It got mixed reviews and it didn't do that well at the box office, but I really respect him for doing an original movie. But all this has been a long-winded way to say that Tomorrowland 2 has this kind of retro aesthetic and he throws it back to the 50s. And even though he was maybe that's a little bit before his time. Um, let me see when he was, I imagine probably like the early 60s. Oh, he was born 1957, right? So that, that stuff was still fresh in the, the cultural consciousness. What about it? You said Tomorrowland too. Oh no, I meant like Tomorrowland as well has oh, that, okay. that okay. retro. Okay. Like, Did we get a sequel? <laughs> no, sadly, it did not do well enough. Um, and, oh, apparently, according to Wikipedia, it lost Disney from one hundred twenty to one hundred fifty million dollars. Oh shit! <laughs> which is pretty rough. I mean, he had such a great track record that he was able to later go on and do Incredibles 2, which was good. But I think it's a shame that he hasn't been able to do another original one um, in a bit. He's also because... a lead animator for The Road to El Dorado, also a great movie. Yeah, I mean, he is, I think, hyper-talented. And so basically, all those things, all those movies, it kind of tie back to this retro aesthetic. Clearly, he was a kid. I really feel like with The Iron Giant, there's a real love for that time period. And I don't know if you feel this way about The Incredibles. I certainly do. The Incredibles is a better, more genuine, heroic superhero movie than pretty much 99% of the DC or Marvel superhero movies that are actually made. And I feel like the same for The Iron Giant. The Iron Giant, to me, with, its, it, with the aesthetic, that 1950s look, with the kind of wonder of it and with like the real emphasis on like heroic sacrifice is like a better, more true version of the Superman myth 
than anything I've actually seen. That's a that's a official Superman story. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would definitely say at least cinematically. The oh well, yeah, so, yeah, that's what I mean. The live action Superman. While I do enjoy them, they have they have their their positives. The Iron Giant trumps any live action Superman that I've seen because the whole idea about Superman is the idea of like self-sacrifice but the fact that he's invincible but the Iron Giant no nowhere is he invincible he's very vulnerable actually he's like he loses his mind he is like very socially like afraid of everything he's like really he's neurotic to a point to where he's like always worried that someone's gonna find him when he's playing with Hogarth yeah and it's and in that moment he has he has his hero moment that Superman always has, but to a point, Superman, it's like his hero moments are like, oh, I'm just kind of sad because like I'm not so different than my enemy. When it's like, no, your enemy's trying to commit genocide. You are yeah. very different from your enemy. But like the Iron Giant's like, in his hero moment, he's like, it's not the fact that he's different from them, it's the fact that he's similar. And he's like, but I was gifted to save these people. Yeah. And so I'm going to use it to save my best friend. And in that superhero moment that he has, where he was like, I am Superman, he literally is. It's like he's the yeah. quintessential idea of what Superman is the idea of being greater and self sacrifice. Yeah. And it's, it's that, that moment when it's like, when he dies and like Hogarth and his parent and his mom and Dean are looking up and you just be like the shining star and it's the really soft, subtle violin. It's just, it's, it's, I, I can't even think of a word to describe the serenity and like beauty of that shot. Yeah, no, I mean, it is, I really think that he, Brad Bird has something he is like a classic, like down to a T storyteller. And obviously, you know, he has that animation experience. Um, and he's he makes movies that have lots of spectacle and bombast. Um, and he clearly is not all of his movies that he has directed, I'm pretty sure. Let's see. Yeah, his first movie was The Iron Giant that he directed. Um mm -hmm. They've all been blockbuster movies, big blockbuster movies, but he is like what you're taught to do in like a screenwriting class to hit the beats, to follow those arcs. Um, he does it to a T in his movies. I mean, they are perfect. I mean, there's he, they, he sets it up perfectly. He gives them the dilemma at just the right moment. It's paced beautifully. And it's this kind of like, it's almost like so formulaic and i don't mean that in a negative sense i mean that in a positive sense it's it's hitting all those notes you almost wonder like how come more people can't do that because there are so many movies that try to kind of do the same thing try to be a kid's movie that has superhero elements um a kid's movie that has maybe these greater ideas going on but he mm -hmm. just effortlessly does it where in the incredibles too like and, and I mean, The Incredibles as well. The Incredibles 2 was also good, but um, it's, um, 
those notes, like there's real redemption, there's real fault, there's real flaw. People really overcome stuff. Uh, it just, it's like, it hits all the, the like reptile brain things that an audience <laughs> wants to have hit. Like I'm just watching it and like, if you could like hit me with an x-ray watching one of his movies, it's like my body's glowing. It's like, I'm <laughs> like, oh yeah, like this is the sweet spot. Um, because it, it like Red Two, too, yeah. I'm oh, sorry, I need you to go ahead. No, I that's I you you came at the right time. I, I had run out of steam. Um, I think about uh, I was just looking through some photos, and Ready Player One came up, and that's a movie I hold truly the opposite feeling in my heart for. Yeah. Um, because there's a moment where it's like the big blockbuster moment when the Iron Giant pops up. Same same with Space Jam Two. Um, where they reference the Iron Giant, it's hollow. It's a hollow reference. Yeah. Because they're pulling the stardom of the Iron Giant when the Iron Giant himself is not the star of the movie. Well, he is. He's the protagonist, I would say, more than... Hogarth is the very strongly focused side character, but it's the relationship that makes the movie the movie. Like Bugs Bunny yeah. is Bugs Bunny, not because he's in Looney Tunes and like his like how he treats Daffy and how he treats Elmer. Bugs Bunny is himself because he's funny. He's like yeah. witty. He's like cartoonish. He's uh, animated. He's all these things that make him interesting. But the Iron Giant is his relationship with Hogarth. That's what makes him lovable. And when they pull that into the movie both Space Jam 2 and uh, Ready Player One, I'm like, what is this dog shit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you... it's no secret that those two movies that you're referencing are, and I have not seen either, but what they represent, even if people uh, like individual parts of the movies, they are some of the most soulless corporate cash grabs that have ever like been released. Um, yeah, and it's, it's really... Like, I would prefer, like, the Gundam thing, I was also like that, but, like, a little bit less, because Gundam's become, like, this almost, like, meme. Uh -huh. And, like, the, the idea of, like, well, Gundam evolved into, like, Gundam then became, uh, well, it's, like, Jet Jaguar and Gundam then became the idea of, like, piloting giant robots, which became Power Rangers, which became a bunch of other stuff after. But the yeah. Iron Giant has always been the Iron Giant. It's like no one has ever tried to recreate the story of the Iron Giant in its like framework, other than like Superman. Yeah, that was that's a different story. But when they so when they took it into the movie, I was appalled to say the least. Because I was like, that's like if you I don't know. I, no. I don't know how to describe it, but it's it, it added this layer, this extra layer of just hollowness to the movie. Yeah. That made me like, oh, I hate. I, before I was like, I don't care. Now I'm like, I hate this. This is, this is so obviously out of touch with the audience it's trying to hit. Yeah. It's just grasping at every straw that it can. Yeah. Well, I feel like this is a good place to mention that something that makes the Iron Giant special is I'm looking it up and apparently it's based on um, mm -hmm. 
uh, book, a 1968 fiction novel um, by Ted Hughes. And that's how his name's like, his name's Hogarth Hughes. That's how they got the Hughes. Um, mm -hmm. And he later wrote a sequel called The Iron Woman, which is kind of a, a, a whole different thing. But what makes the film unique um, nowadays, it certainly wasn't when it came out in this regard, is that it's not setting up a sequel and it's not um, it's not trying to start some franchise. It is really in like 90 minutes. It's actually it's 87 minutes. So really in a short amount of time, they capture something that is pretty universal and beautiful and fun. And again, this is from what I remember. It'd be hilarious if I were to watch it now and be like, damn, this shit's trash. I know that would not be the case. <laughs> Just watching the clip on YouTube at the end, I was like, damn, I might start crying. Um <laughs> But um, that's what I think is so, it's almost like for people now, kids now, if you were to show this to a kid, they'd be like, well, where, where are the next ones? Maybe they just assume that mm. because there's so much franchise building now. And a movie like Ready Player One is so focused on kind of just symbols and drawing on things that you know. And that's not what makes like the Iron Giant good. And that's, that's, that's no secret. No one, I mean obviously that it's it's an original movie people love it i'm sure people have talked about it but mm. really what sticks out when you when you watch it is it's like such a labor of love there's so much attention given to everything like the iron giant has a little dent in his head and <laughs> there are these kind of quirky characters these quirky moments and it's such a like soulful movie um yeah. it yeah, like it's a like scene. yeah the scene where dean where they get washed away from the lake and then just sitting in the middle of the road and the pig farmer rolls up. He's like, hey. And Dean's like, yeah. He's like, you know you're in the middle of the, yeah. And he like looks like, dude, fuck off. Yeah, yeah. That just, it's just, it's those moments that make the Iron Giant movie like fun. That it's, that it doesn't need to be building up some kind of cinematic universe or any kind of like soul successor movie. Where yeah. it's encompassing like every character who they are in the there's no like the people don't really grow other than the fact that they learn that the Lock iron giant isn't a threat but like it's the iron giant's growth it's what the movie is it's him yeah. coming to realize who he wants to be isn't defined by what's inside him or like what he's made out of yeah no it's, it's yeah it's him just like you choose who you be you like you choose who you are right isn't that you what you, you choose who you be um, <laughs> i did not mean yeah you, you choose who you are is what hogar says and that's really this classic and so kind of going off of that like the whose journey it is and these notions of narrative right we're kind of approaching this podcast mainly from the the narrative perspective from storytelling what okay. is something like if you had to pick one lesson that somebody who's writing um, who's writing a story now could take from the Iron Giant? What do you have like an idea what what that would be like? What's the one thing above all that you think somebody should try to emulate about the Iron Giant if they're going to write a story? Hmm, oh, that's a, that's a tough one. There's there's just so much. Um, I would say the central plot, like the central story that is told in this movie is 
you are who you choose to be and whoever you choose to be is damn actually this is it's a lot harder to boil it down it is it is hard so i think in the future we could even we could even do a transition we can um um, oh yeah go on i think i think that it's it's there's two main things in this movie in terms of narrative it's the idea of fear that you can't let fear of change or fear of something different rule who you are which is like Hogarth he's unafraid and that's why his life becomes such like a grand adventure he's not afraid of the giant he's not afraid of talking to Dean the only thing he's afraid of is making is like letting down his mom that's really it uh-huh. but every other character is afraid even the iron giant is afraid and Hogarth takes life with such like I would say reckless abandon that the narrative becomes about fear. It's fear of the Red Scare. It's the fear of the nuke. It's the fear of the giant of the army parading through your town and rounding up your best friend or whatever. Yeah. But through it all, Hogarth has this confidence and boldness. He doesn't care that the army has tanks. They're like, that's my best friend. They're in there shooting him. They're turning him into something horrible. And like, Hogarth, through it all, does not care about about it. He just is himself. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, and I also think I have not seen it in, in in a long enough time, but I do think that it is interesting to track like who the the protagonist is in a movie like that, because you're right. I mean, from what I remember, what you're describing, it does sound like. The Iron Giant is the character with the most growth because at the <laughs> end, he will say he, um, you know, makes he kind of learns his full potential and makes that heroic sacrifice. Whereas a character like Hogarth is, um, he's he, a more static presence from what I remember. Um, and so I feel like a lot of writers would maybe go the other way and kind of make it where a little more E.T., um, which is another movie. How did I even think of that? It's very much just kind of an, an, an E.T. Mm-hmm. vibe. Very mm-hmm. much a Spielberg-type movie. Um, and I think other writers would probably take it to this place where it's about the kid learning how to interact with this creature and the kid's decisions at the end. And I feel like maybe the reason that the Iron Giant would be used in a movie like Ready Player One, the reason why that character is beloved is they really do give, and this is also, you know, to be very serious, credit to Vin Diesel as well with the limited lines that he's given, they really make the Iron Giant feel like this real living thing with like a real soul and a real journey. And I feel like audiences love, love, love when you're able to give that kind of dynamic kind of inner life to something that seems like it should be just simple and stupid or just like cool. Um, And I feel like that's that's what also might help set it above is the real emphasis on making the Iron Giant himself like the main character as opposed to Hogarth or anybody else in the town. 
No, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, it's it, it, it makes sense why they choose in these movies to pull the Iron Giant. Because at the end of the day, the thing that you remember the movie, you don't really remember Hogarth. You remember the giant. Yep. Because he has these small lines that, like, they're like, but if, if, you, if in like the entire movie the giant didn't talk, it would be kind of weird. It would be kind of like it'd be a good movie still, but like if like it was all like pantomiming what he was yeah. feeling and like you had to like get it through Hogarth, it wouldn't feel as like genuine. But it's like you, it goes from him like being completely nonsensical, well, first nonverbal, and yeah. then he's like. He's basically going from an infant to like Hogarth's age, and then like a little bit past. Yeah. And like, in that journey, it's like you're watching him become like a not a man, but like an adultish kind of figure to Hogarth. Well, and it is. Yeah, it's it's a coming of age kind of story. And yeah, but it, it's weird because it's not a coming of age story for the kid. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That I, is. I'm, I'm looking at the personality traits on like his uh, fandom page, and they're all positive traits of anybody. It's like yeah. talkative, intelligent, quirky, childlike, lovable, sarcastic, sassy, and funny. In the giant, he's like, first he's dumb. He's just a dumb dude who's just chewing on railroads, and then he becomes really playful, and then he's like kind of scared of everything because he like doesn't know anything, and then he becomes very brave and confident and self like self uh assured and then he dies and the the truly sad thing about it is like he had such a short life to hogarth at least in like before like the ending scene where he like rebuilds himself because as far as we're concerned he he came to earth fresh and within a week he was dead yeah and that fleetingness makes it so when you see him again in other movies that it's like oh he's he's back he's whatever yeah but in brad bird's story he literally said i told the story i wanted to tell yeah and it ended how it ended there's no i have no plans on bringing back the iron giant as far as the world is concerned he's dead yeah so yeah yo it's um yeah, and it's, it's, I think it's a testament to some somebody. I don't know if it's, I don't know, what was it? Was it a Disney? It certainly wasn't like advertised Disney movie. Who did he make it with? Made it with Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers. Oh, but of course, because Space a, Jam and Ready Player One. But that's a great point to why uh, the Iron Giant was a flop. <laughs> because Was it? Warner Brothers. Yeah, it was a terrible flop. It lost like 50, it made $50 million in its first year and a half. And then it truly just died. And then when it came back in like the late, like mid 2000s is when it's got its like true revival. And then it, it oh, just okay. exploded. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that's that's why Brad Bird left him with the Pixar because he had released the movie with Warner Brothers to like a same like I was reading it like a like a day or two ago. He released it to like a sample audience. They were like, it's cool. I don't I don't know what it is though. Cause I don't they didn't there's like no previews, no nothing. It wasn't advertised that well. It was like a 
there's one of those movies where it's like in the old era of like 1990s early 2000s where it's like coming to a theater new you and you'd be like the golden and bluish and purple kind of like loading screen that used to scare me <laughs> what? we'll talk about that at the end but yes go on and it like it came up in like one of those in a movie theater and then that's yeah. all people knew about it and then the people were like i like it but i don't know what it is and warner brothers said well let's push back the release date give it a little bit more time to grow like word of mouth maybe put out some advertisement for it and brad bird was like i've i'm i made the movie already just release it it'll be fine and it shit the bed because no one heard about it yeah and so yeah he left to go to pixar and when he was at pixar is when it took back off and oh okay became a cult classic i would i would say at least yeah i mean clearly i mean the jokes i mean in the the cultural consciousness, like people are surprised to hear that now that it didn't go well when it was first released because it's obviously so loved now and it, it's, it's, it's big enough where now they're trotting it out for, you know, movies like Ready Player One and Space Jam 2. So that's actually what I was going to say is it's kind of a, a minor miracle that they have not, at least as far as I know, I hope I don't Google this and get my heart broken, that they have not tried to do a remake of it or that they have not. It's almost, we're lucky that all they've done is put him in some soulless cameos in these other movies because, yes, as you mentioned earlier, he does rebuild himself in the end. They could totally try to come up with some way to like bring him back 20 years down the line and they have not done it, which I'm pretty grateful for because it kind of preserves it as a pretty special one-off minor miracle yeah but like the, the real question with that is where would you go with that it's true i mean I, it's not but hey man they do it for things that make less sense than that but like so the store of the iron giant was he was a guy who didn't know who he was and then like is it going to be the story of him trying to find Hogarth like 20 years later when he has a family like that's, that's interesting I guess but what they would do is they would do a soft reboot type thing they would do something like yeah Hogarth now has a kid the Iron Giant returns I mean they would there's a way that you could probably do it Lord knows if there was even uh, like an in in chance that they could make it work i feel like they would try um so i'm pretty surprised and grateful that they haven't even if yeah you're right action it would almost certainly be live action that's another that's uh i'd say we can say um kind of maybe as a point separate from the narrative is wow is it good to look at a a beautiful 2d movie an american 2d movie and especially because because when you get that now, it's typically Eastern, like it's typically Japanese an- animation. And so it's so cool to see the Iron Giant looking the way it does. And it, what makes it even sweeter is the fact that it is based off of this like inherently American, like almost Norman Rockwell. It's kind of like during fall. So like the tr- there's lots of trees and the trees are different colors. There's lots of color in the town. There's a big focus on metal. And I feel like they get a really good sense of like the tactile 
feeling of the metal, like when he's eating it and when it gets dented and touched. Mm-hmm. It's just like such um, a remarkable movie. I really wish that they would bring back some 2D movies these days because you just don't see it enough. Yeah, there's... I, I have a very... Um, I would say old school opinion about animation where 3D animation has its place, but it could never trump 2D animation. It 2D has a way of putting the characters in hyper position to the background to the point where it's it makes them come to a come to life in a much different way. Yeah. The iron giant, the way he moves against like a pastel painted background, he's like this very like lumberous like weirdly like jauntily animated dude makes him come to life twice as much than if the background's kind of 3d he's like very 3d popping through it because i think of like the land before time and i think of um but even like the movie the brave little toaster yeah and the, the trumpeter swan in those movies the animation it's all hand drawn and the effort and the way that it comes together is just it's it's to me the golden era of animation. It's Hayao Miyazaki's like era of like the, the late nineties, early eighties style of color. I, I can't remember what the name of it is called. It, there's like a there's a little error for it, but that's besides the point. Yeah. But the way that it's done, if they try to do 3D even like redo into like a Disney style, like um, Pixar animation, it doesn't oh. work. It just doesn't. No. And yeah, I feel like what's interesting is then Brad Bird went on to make two 3D or three, if you include Incredibles, two 3D movies with Pixar that I totally would have no other way. Like they're, they're I think those are beautiful movies, like the way they get the fingers and the food to look and Ratatouille the way that they get the suits to pop and stuff and the Incredibles, like there's a place for both. I'm just surprised that they have completely dropped off because I loved Princess and the Frog. I know that it wasn't like a huge movie for Disney. Like, I don't think it was as big as like Tangled or Frozen was, but that movie to me is way prettier than any of the ones they've done since, which have admittedly been huge successes. It's working for them, but I mean, I feel like it just go back once am, am i tripping is that the last one that they did uh prince and the frog yeah is that the last 2d one uh last 2d yes it's yeah how have they not brought it back well it's because there, there was an in-between because i think prince and the frog um i'm trying to think of what the last disney movie before that was i think that one was 3d they definitely have like, done like Chicken Little and um, Meet the Robinsons and some movies like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are also like, they all fall into like the incredible style. Yeah, you know what's funny is the, the 3D Disney movies from back in the two, 20 aughts there, like the early 2000s, to me at least, are just nowhere near as pretty as the Pixar movies. Um, you're saying the Disney movies? Yeah, the, the the ones that were just straight Disney, like Meet the Robinsons and things like that, mm. were just not quite up to the picture, which is funny because, you know, they bought Pixar, I'm not even sure exactly when, 
um, and they recently like completely are in charge of that. Um, and they're the biggest animation studio and company ever in the world. They're like the modern day Goliath. I'm surprised that they couldn't get their stuff a little bit better because like Chicken Little's kind of ugly, bro. Like Chicken Little's very ugly, but it's very funny. <laughs> yeah, I've, see, I've actually never seen that in its entirety as a kid. I think I was too scared at the thought of a looming apocalypse. Um, but Chicken Little is one of your, you can summon him in Kingdom Hearts. Two. I really, I really hope you were going to say in real life you can summon him. Well, I, yeah, me and you are the only ones who can. Yeah, I'm like revealing to you that you have the power to. We just choose to not to for the good of society. Exactly. You know what I, what I think, um, and we're, we're definitely winding down here because now we're going a little off topic, but the, for me, the epitome of like the beautiful 2D Disney thing is Sleeping Beauty, the, the way that like the trees look in that, I mean, it's incredible. If you Google Sleeping Beauty trees and you look at like some of those nature shots, some of the vistas they came up with, Ooh wee. Let me let me see some beauty trees. They kind of have like this cube. Oh wow, whoa. You know, and like they have the, but then you go into the forest, it's a little more realistic. I mean, it's really um that's yeah, really weird. And you know, and it's I see I see I see something here, like um how Sleeping Beauty inspired Frozen 2. So let me type in Frozen 2 trees and like see the Actually, you know what? It's looking pretty pretty. I'm gonna be honest. It does look good. Well, um, but it's a different. It's, it's different in my mind because it's the juxtaposition of a cell shaded 2D character versus a painted, like hand drawn background. Yeah, that like it does things to my brain. That like oh, instantly yeah. peg it as this is beautiful. I yeah. It's, because it's like it's like walk it's like the character is walking through a painting. Oh and yeah, and they big time in this one. This is like some the abstract shapes of the trees. It really looks like each every frame of painting, like literally. Yeah. Because um, then I, I also think of the um, Hayao Miyazaki movies where it's like the. You're aware of like the House Moving Castle. Um, yeah. It's the the. The, what people always say is like the level of detail that is put into those movies and in 3d i'm not saying it's any less like rigorous but you you lose some of that in the fact that it's computer generated you just you just do there's no other way to put it big time and because it yeah. has less like it has less i'm like i i feel bad like shitting on 3d because like i just watched encanto and encanto was incredible i love that movie really cool but it's 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 just so different in my head yeah the, the iron giants art style to me is untouchable to me what the the historically the drawback of 3d has been um the fact that you I feel like those those kind of cubist trees that they had, like in Sleeping Beauty, like things that are very separated from reality. I feel like a lot of 3D movies struggle with doing. A lot of 3D um, 
that I've seen 3D uh, animated films are kind of trying to create a version of the world that's more or less similar to ours in a weird way. Like mm-hmm. some of those DreamWorks ones and stuff and some of these, especially, I think is it Illumination, the people who do sing. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. those are so ugly. Um, but <laughs> there is, I really do. I've not even seen those movies, but like the trailers make me like, the thing that releases the dopamine and gives me like a cocaine high when I look at Sleeping Beauty, I get like a little nauseous when I look at that little koala from Sing. Um, but the movie that I think is the exception is that Spider-Man Enter the Spider-Verse. That movie to me is one of the most inventive animated films I've ever seen. And it did the 3D thing like it could not have been anything else. I mean, that was to me like next level. Well, you know what I think it is to me? What? It's the uncanny valley. Oh, it's, true. It's the fact that 3D tries to make it look less 2D, and that's weird to me. Like it just it doesn't translate as well. Like I think of Hoodwinked, and it's like Hoodwink. the way, yeah, the movie Hoodwinked. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the way they make them look is so creepy and weird because if they were like flat, it would look like, oh, they're cartoon characters. That's that's normal. But it's like they tried to pop them into life and that's very weird to me. Yeah. And when I look at, um, shit, I, whoa, I just lost my entire train of thought. Um, but when I look at 2D, or, oh, I remember. When I look at Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, it's it's more like it's trying to make 3D look more 2D. Yeah. We're trying to pull in that comic book aesthetic where it's trying to add like a little bit more of that like like uh it's almost like you're watching cells go by super fast. Yeah. They lower they lower the resol- the um the frame rate on the on like the animation. Yep. So it looks faker which makes it look better to me much better yes and that's the thing is like i think and i saw a trailer for the new one which was from i remember kind of an extended clip for the new enter the (laughs) spider-verse movie and it looked like they were even going further with it which i loved where they really things kind of glitch out they bring in comic book cells they take like full advantage like sometimes you watch these animated movies and you're like this did not have to be animated um (laughs) you know you have like an it's, this is, of course, not true, what I'm about to say, but in a sense, quote unquote, you have like an infinite budget. And I know that it, it takes a lot of money and time, but like you can animate things essentially to the extent of your imagination. And some of these movies just do not take it to that place. It just sort of feels very kind of sterile. And what I love about Enter the Spider-Verse is it's not going for that traditional 3D animated kind of like puffy things don't look like puffy and kind of chunky, I guess is like a a way I could say it. Things look very kind of, they can look flat, they look dynamic, the shading on it is just so incredible. Um, Yeah, to me, that was like not only one of the best superhero movies I've ever seen, one of the best like blockbuster movies that's come out in the past 10 years. It was one of the best animated movies I'd ever seen. I really thought that was pretty incredible. Yeah, they really gave Miles the exaggerated swagger of a young black teen. <laughs> I was, I, I had not, I just saw that for the first time a few days ago, bro. From the GameStop review? It was GameSpot, but yeah. The game, of course, GameSpot. Was, yeah. no, so, it may have been Polygon. I think it was Polygon. 
but regardless, dude, and what's yeah. so great is he goes, uh, the way he turns around to face the camera for diving off fully captures the exaggerated swagger of a young black teen. It gives me goosebumps every time. But like at the same time, I was a young black teen. I wasn't swinging around, <laughs> turning my exactly. face. Exactly. <laughs> people were joking, like uh, people were joking, like that'd be like saying that, like um, Batman uh jumps off the building with the ferocity of a forty-year-old white man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a ridiculous. Now I think that we're kind of nearing the end, but something I want to bring up is something that I had to brush past, which is mm-hmm. if you type in on google disney dvd coming soon this shit scared me so bad as a kid i can still remember the music to it yep <laughs> it's like just two chords <laughs> yeah very simple um fear of let me type this in logophobia is a fear of logos um and you can look at people who have a fear of like old Warner Brothers logos. There's a thing of um, the things that come before movies and commercials where it'll be a little musical cue and a symbol. You're like afraid of it. Um, really? And I, yeah, and it's what's weird is I kind of get it. To be fair, part of that is because Disney, up until recently, where shit is very, um, I think designed not to be too scary, but Disney movies had some scary stuff in them for kids. Um, oh yeah, back in the day at least. Like you know, I was afraid, for example, of the Eartha Kit villain, the the witch Yzma or whatever from Emperor's New Groove. Um, oh Yzma, Yzma, yeah. yeah. They would include characters in situations that were actually kind of really scary, like the Disney House of Villains, like for a three, four, or five year old kid. So I think I associated those trailers that like coming soon on video and DVD um, to maybe something scary is going to pop up. But dude, when that shit hit coming soon, I was like running out of the room. <laughs> Seriously. I'm not joking. Yeah. And you can look it up. I think, is it film? One second. But yeah, on the topic of Disney being scary, yeah, I I really think of the Tarzan beat when Clayton gets hanged. It's pretty bad. (laughs) Really? I see. I what's funny is as a kid, I didn't watch a lot of those. I was such a Pixar kid. I did not watch a lot of the classic Disney 2D movies that often. They weren't like a huge part of my childhood. And in fact, my main exposure to them was playing Kingdom Hearts with my dad as a kid. I think Kingdom Hearts is going to become a recurring thing. Um, and then I kind of rediscovered those 2D Disney movies more recently, kind of inspired by Kingdom Hearts. Hmm. Um, so I was not not too familiar. But I feel like that was a pretty solid episode. I would say so in the very least. That was the best one we've had, I would say, right? Oh, for sure. Um, and I don't know. It's we have to scientific method it because it could just be because we're um, getting better. But I think this is certainly an indication that if if not the book review thing work or the book report thing working, which I think it does, um, I think also the um, I think also talking about something that's narrow and specific is very good. Well, I also just fangirled over. Like in 
like yeah. an hour and a half of the Iron Giant, which I can do any day of the week. <laughs> Brother, and what's funny is we could have watched the, the whole movie in that time period, but I'm glad that we, I might have to go rewatch it. Yeah, I almost certainly will too. Because <laughs> um, it's that good. So and yeah, that's... Anyone, anyone listening should also watch the Iron Giant whenever they get a chance. Definitely. Um, and maybe I'll, ha- maybe I'll have to edit some of this down of me talking about how great our episode was and me telling no, you to Google. They should hear, yeah, they should hear how proud we are. Um, <laughs> exactly. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up with, um, you're going to do the Iron Giant and then I'm going to do like uh, like triple X snuff films for my <laughs> subgenre. So all um, the movies that make people feel good and you'll do movies that make people feel uh, like amped up to the maximum but then also kind of bad about the human condition. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I have a few ideas for what I'm gonna do um, for my next one. But yeah, uh, I will see you in the audience, which hopefully we—I don't know how to promote these days. Hopefully, we can figure out some way. I guess we'll send it to all of our friends, and then I don't know how you market a podcast. I think you just let it go, and then you just see what happens. Just see what happens. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you for the next episode where I tell cam about the beauty and the wonder of um hitman agent 47 the movie of the monster hunter film 